0: Hello and welcome to episode 84 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. With all that's gone on in the last five months, we went back and forth trying to pick our next movie. While we were hoping to continue watching movies made by women or people of color, we ultimately decided that there was an important conversation to be had about American History X, the 1998 film from director Tony Kaye and writer David McKenna. Most people remember the brutally violent scenes from the movie, but prompted by some reading we've done, we wanted to focus on the quieter scenes, the ones where the white supremacists speak their minds, to see how the movie feels in 2020. Be aware, this episode will contain difficult and objectionable content as we discuss the movie's violence, including racist hate crimes and rape. We will also be discussing the racist views of white supremacists, including clips that include racist ideas and slurs. So please, uh, take care while listening.
1: American History X seems to have more of a following now than it did upon its release. The battle over the release of the film was common knowledge, including Edward Norton allegedly influencing a re-edit in order to give his character more screen time, and director Tony Kaye asking for his name to be removed from the credits, and the embattled film only made a little more than its $20 million budget worldwide. Norton's fiddling worked though, as his performance garnered the film's only Oscar nomination. As is often the case, though, the movie became more popular on video in the years following its release and was a staple of many a college dorm room video collection.
0: But is the story of Derek's redemption from racism really one we should be championing?
1: Or should its surprisingly glossy take on white supremacy be reevaluated? Keep listening.
2: I should expel you. Go ahead. Well, you don't think I can handle it? No, I think the street would kill you. Your rhetoric and your propaganda aren't going to save you out there. So here's the drill. I'm your history teacher from now on. We will discuss current events. We will call this class American History X. We meet once a day. All right. Your first assignment is to prepare for me a new paper due tomorrow. Oh, come on, Sweeney. It took me a week to read my income. That isn't fair.
1: That was uh, Avery Brooks as Dr. Sweeney, the principal at Danny's school, played by uh, Edward Furlong, uh, saying the title of the movie, which is also <laughs> the title of a special class that the principal is going to be teaching one-on-one with uh, Danny Apparently, without approval from anybody else in the administration, uh, would that even be? T- I mean, you're a teacher. Would th- is this? Is this uh, just? There'd have to be some channels, against some against protocol. Some here. people yeah. would have to be okaying this. But that's something that we'll talk. I think we should talk about the the character of Sweeney seems to have some pretty otherworldly powers as a principal. Right. <laughs> um, he
0: runs that school the way he wants to run it.
1: Right. He runs. I mean, he gets Derek's parole. He, he, right. he gets yeah. to go in and see Derek in the in the prison. He gets to like medical ward consult the police department, right? Right. And he's he... a con- he's a consult for the police department. He's a he's a powerful man. Yeah. Uh, well, I, it seems like a, a integral part of that community. That's a good way to look at it. Not as somebody who wrote a screenplay with very little idea of what a principal actually can <laughs> and can't do. It reminds me of when I was in like third grade, and they would be like, write about what you would do if you were principal. And I'd be like, I'd make it snow pizza. <laughs> I'm like, you know the principal can't do that. Like, <laughs> well, it's not God. Well, did you see American History <laughs> X? <laughs> I'm a third grader who's seen American History X. <laughs> so
0: I guess the big question is, why are we doing this? Yeah.
1: Maybe we should, uh,
0: first of all, aside here, yeah. we were on hiatus for a very long time, by the way. Yes.
1: Like uh, our last episode
0: was what, March uh, or April? April
1: maybe may
0: yeah so first of all it feels great to be back yeah it does but you know I think we got it. it. Might be a little rusty here, yeah, going into it. But I think uh, I'm I'm happy to be back. We're in a new, like, sort of socially distanced studio that I right. set up in the garage, right? Uh, because we did the remote thing in the quarantine episode, and it was fine. It yeah. worked. But I think we realized that we need the physical proximity <laughs> right. to one another yeah. to really get the "Can we still be friends?" fire going.
1: You right. Know? Yeah. So we're we're recording from a garage. We've upgraded to Mark Marin WTF status. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. Out of the house and into the garage. Yeah, but it, it is
0: hot in here. It is. I don't think it's our a, garage it's is a as hot nice day. day. Yeah. It a, um, so
1: we've got fans on us.
0: Yeah. And so if you hear sort of a low level hum, I don't know if I'll be able to get that out in the editing process or not. But that's what that is. Yeah. And so hopefully it's, it's us not too distracting. Cool. But it's it's keeping us alive. I it would It is. Say. Yeah. And, we'd probably pass out. Yeah. And keeping the air circulating right. more safely. So right. Right. Just wanted to get that out of the way. Welcome back, everyone. Yeah. Thank you for popping in again. Thank you for not leaving us. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you and um, we
0: really do hope that everyone is staying safe these are some as we said in our last episode yeah, some some uncertain some times. uncertain
1: times still
0: even still, even today i thought we would be more certain by now right but we're not I and think- that's why we had to come up with plan b in the garage
1: yeah well i guess plan c plan b was the uh the remote the dry, yeah, we're on right, plan right, yeah. c we'll hopefully get to plan x at, at some point yes. in the episode well it's
0: that's That's going to be the one-on-one with the (laughs) principal. Can't we still be friends, X? (laughs) Right. When yeah. So So that'll be different. So, anyways, going back to the movie though, let's jump right into the movie. Uh, Why are we doing this? Because I I think in our intro we said we and, and we talked about on social media that we hadn't really announced it, but we were we had planned this whole entire year. We wanted to really focus on movies made by women, people of color, and we sort of jettisoned it for this particular episode. And I think some listeners might think, well, why American history? Yeah, because no one's yeah. really talking about this movie right now. And, yeah. and,
1: it's not an anniversary year or anything. Right. That was two years ago. It's twentieth, so it's twenty-two years old. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, obviously, with all the the increased conversation about uh, racism and racial identity, and what does it mean for white people, and uh, I think part of us didn't really feel comfortable as two white men. In, in some way dissecting a black filmmaker's view on racism. And right. I, there, there would be, there's definitely a place for that conversation and we've and there's done a way it. to do that. And, and we, we have done d- it with do the, the right thing, thing.
0: and, and um, um, uh, boys in the hood. And, but yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I, I think what we were struggling with in our, private conversations was more what is our place in this whole thing yeah as two white men what, what do we have to say yeah and is it even should anything, we even be saying is, is, it? is, it, <laughs> right, is there any, is there really anything of value we have to add to this and where i think i was coming from when i sort of pitched this idea to you was this is a movie about race and this was probably for me kind of the movie about race mm-hmm. that impacted me the most when i watched it mm-hmm. we'll get to first viewings yeah and I think that's true of a lot of people, um, maybe of our age, uh, who watched this maybe when they were in college. Um, and I would say, just because it's what I know, I'm talking mostly about other white people. Yes. That this was a lot of other white people's movies. White movie. men. Do you know yeah, that's true. of
1: white women's views on this? I, th- I, I mean, my wife you- has
0: seen it and she liked it, but okay. I don't think it's the same kind of resonance that Doesn't I have seem like it. Movie.
1: That's just an anecdotal thing. Yes. But as I was thinking about it, I'm, I'm, I don't recall... I, I can picture white men saying, oh, I love that movie. It's my favorite movie or what a great movie. I don't picture, when I remember it, I don't picture white women in my life yeah, having said that. right? And so
0: I, the way I feel is that, you know, this is a time where a lot of us are reevaluating um, our thoughts on racism, even what racism is, what it means to us, what it means to be white. And part of that, I think, is reevaluating the media that you've consumed and that has formed those ideas. And I've seen and we we, we've even kind of shared our thoughts on the movies that are kind of easy to tear down, like Green Book Crash, Driving Miss Daisy. These movies that take a very sort of like typical Hollywood white view on racism. And my feeling was this was a movie that was a white view sort of on racism. Mm -hmm. I mean, the writer, David McKenna, is white. Mm -hmm. Tony Kay is, I believe, uh, white and Jewish, I Mm -hmm. believe. You know, and Edward Norton had a big hand in the making of this movie. So again, this is sort of a white movie mm-hmm. about racism, but it's different. And it's, what does that mean? And yeah. where, where does it where does it succeed and where does it fail? If you know, if yeah. those are even the right terms to use towards this. Well, movie. and
1: yeah, I mean, and where it succeeded and failed in nineteen ninety eight is not necessarily going to succeed and fail today, right? I think what makes this a little bit different not that we're uh, not we're not trying to like justify ourselves I think we feel secure in this decision but like it's a white perspective on the white side of racism mm-hmm. most m- mostly it's not really examining the effects of that racism on people of color i would say to its detriment we can get to that yeah, m- more yeah. later but it also is you know from the sort of quote unquote white side of things where what is the a white person's responsibility in the racist ideas that come up and the racist trends among white people. Um, and like you said, I think one thing that I'm doing, and I think you're, you've been doing it too, is kind of thinking, where are my ideas about race coming from? Mm-hmm. Where, yep. why, because they haven't come to me fully formed, you know, like this was a movie for me, for you, for a lot of white men. <laughs> the fact that it resonated with people means that something about its view on race and racism clicked for them Mm -hmm. or found a a place in their head so what does that mean yeah and so i think that that's sort of where we're coming from with the choice in this movie
0: like if we're going to do a movie on race why this movie right you know and maybe you uh would agree or disagree but i feel like uh, this was a very formative movie for a lot of people but very few people have watched it recently i agree and maybe why is that Mm -hmm. Uh, and also um therefore i think even people's memory of it might not be Accurate. And also, does that mean that it's really a movie about race that was uh, for its time? Right. What does it really have to say for us right now right. in
1: 2020? Well, I think that's a good entry point into first viewings yeah. because. Yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah, so why don't, why don't you start? What, uh, what was the first time you saw it and what resonated with you? What are, you, what are your memories of it? Yeah, so this, this actually is, for me,
0: a very important film. Uh, and not necessarily just because of whatever it formed in my mind about race. This was a movie that I did not see in the theater, but I did see very close to when it was released. I remember my mom, um, who we've always had a close relationship about film, me and my mom have. And she rented this movie and watched it alone. Mm. And she was deeply impacted by it. And she I remember she told me I was in high school at the time. I was probably like a junior or senior in high school, I think junior in high school. And she told me, I would really like it if you watch this movie. And I don't really want to watch it with you, but I think you need to watch it. Hmm. And so she gave me the tape and I watched it by myself in my bedroom. And yeah, I, I, I was really affected by it, too. I think it is a movie that... And I think part of it is just the, the sheer violence of it. It's very yep. hard not to, be, not to have a visceral reaction to this right. movie. And the way that this movie addresses racism... And I know this is really what we're going to get into a lot of, so I'm not going to go too deep here. But that did resonate with me a lot at the time. Mm-hmm. And I understood, I thought, at least, what the movie was saying about race. Um, but I remember when I talked to my mom the next day, her takeaway of course she also um, was impacted by a lot of the racial discussion in it and its take on racism. But her big thing for me was she wanted me to watch it because I'm the oldest of four Hmm. and she wanted Hmm. me to watch it as a way of saying, um, I want you to be aware of the impact you have on your brothers and sisters. Interesting. That's heavy. More than anything that has really stuck with me, even over the years, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest brother uh, for three of my siblings and, what sort of uh, example or what sort of message am I encouraging? And yeah. I was kind of nervous about re-watching it because it was such an important movie for me. It's, it's always hard to tear that down. Sure. You don't want to see where it might have been weaker than you thought it was. Yeah. Um, but I felt like it was an important thing to do. And I was kind of like, you know, I need to do this because I need to acknowledge that this was a formative movie for me in my understanding of race. And I need to understand maybe if there is weakness in it, how do I make sure that... I'm noticing that in the new media that I'm taking in. Yeah. Letterboxd rating, I couldn't remember what I rated it, but I gave it five stars. Yeah, I saw that. So that's why it's five stars, though. It really has a lot to do with my yeah, personal yeah. experience. It sounds like it. Um, and, and the way that my mom kind of framed it for me. Yeah. In that,
1: so. That's a real, I mean, formative moment in your relationship with her. Yeah, it is. Let alone is. the relationship yeah. with the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I've only seen this movie once. And um, really, yeah, I never wanted to see it again. I felt like it was <laughs> too, yeah, yeah, it's hard. You know, like I've only seen Requiem for a Dream once. Like if it, in my mind, it occupied that same space. Yeah. Rewatching it, it certainly isn't <laughs> as, as like, Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I've only seen that movie once. Yeah, that's you know. what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but it, it, in my my head, it kind of occupied that same sort of space. Like movies too painful to watch twice. But a friend of mine, Jason, who was my is, has been my best friend for a long time so i have a lot of movie memories with him um for movies that i watched in high school and college he had seen it and loved it and um i was probably in high school probably a junior and i remember we watched it at his parents house and uh i you know had that visceral reaction that Mm -hmm. definitely like it was just a movie that made me feel really gross Mm -hmm. you know for being a sanitized vision of racism that we were talking about, which we'll get to more, uh, it's not a feel-good movie.
0: No, and I also think maybe our listeners might be confused by what we even mean yeah, by, by what sanitized. are you really saying yeah, American History right. X is sanitized? It definitely
1: yeah. is gritty, it's definitely in your face, it's <laughs> right. definitely very it's brutal. But I, I just remember feeling so gross, feeling gross grossed out by what the white by the white supremacist characters, mm-hmm. grossed out by the violence and you know, for that reason, like is a weird word for it. Right. But like, yeah. I liked it. It affected me. Um, I was on a real Edward Norton kick. I think at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember I watched Primal Fear around that mm-hmm. time. I watched Fight Club a ton. Mm.
0: This was my first Edward Norton movie, by the way. Okay. Yeah.
1: It might have been. It might have been my first. It might. Well, no, I, I'd seen Fight Club certainly. Actually, but, I think um, Death to Smoochie was my second. <laughs> oh yeah, Death to Smoochie. <laughs> I had seen. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it was. It was. You know, it's not like my friend and I like sat around and talked about it or anything, but we definitely kind of had like a unspoken, like, yeah, that's you know, racism is bad, like that's gross or sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't think the immediacy of it was felt by me, but it was one that I was like, over the years, as it would come up in conversation, like, oh yeah, man, that's a great movie. But it never it never became like one of my movies, okay. really, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, on Letterbox, I had it rated. I had to look it up too. I didn't remember. I had it. I had it rated four stars, and I think that was largely based on my memories of the movie, not my memories of the movie, and um, the sort of strange camaraderie around people who would like kind of have a moment of silence for American History X whenever it came up. Like, oh, oh I sure. love that movie, man. Yeah. And then almost every time somebody would be like, the curb, oh man. That always comes up
0: every single time.
1: And so that was it for me too. Like, I, I just remembered that scene. I think one of our. One of our friends and listeners, Dan, said on uh, Instagram that he remembered the uh, the curb scene and the dad from Boy Meets World.
0: <laughs> the two things, and I those were like the
1: two like kind of traumatizing <laughs> right, right. things for I me would,
0: too. I would add the two only two other things I would add to that are you know the shower scene, right. And uh, I would add the um, for whatever reason the cash register going through
1: the mm-hmm. window. Um, I actually had forgotten that scene. You know, but, and that was one of like the harder scenes for me to watch this time. And
0: I, and I, and I would like to get into that because I think beyond the uh, brutal and the visceral reaction i think there are filmmaking choices for why those are memorable as well you know yeah. uh, for why those stick with you
1: anyways so, so yeah on the rewatch i i don't know how to uh, five star is hard to 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 move okay are you asking me i'm asking you yeah here's what it's,
0: i'm gonna say this is very rare for a five star yeah we've talked about this right five stars don't really move it doesn't really change i can't change sure the surroundings of how i watched it of course um, and those memories are still going to be incredibly impactful to me. Yeah. And, and I cannot change, uh, for me at least that of the movies I had seen about race, we're talking about stuff like maybe Amistad, maybe, uh, dangerous minds, you know, a time to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, that for me, this was a movie that got me thinking a little bit differently about race than any of those other movies did. Uh, Amistad is a great movie in a way, but like, it's more of a history lesson, yeah. you know? Um, as far as movies that thematically are challenging like wrestled with it wrestling with the uh, concept of racism I, I I still can't shake that this was a movie that was I felt doing things differently than other movies were, and I still kind of feel that to a degree it now, was yeah now here's the thing, so watching it now, um there are still a few things that I do appreciate about this movie, right um and I would like to get into those, and I would like to give them the weight they're due. Um, there are some things in this movie that I at this point really despise yeah. Um, So I'm going to split the difference, I think. And right now I'm going to say I'm a little lost and I'm going to put it at maybe like a three and a half as kind of like a safe space, sort of like a, um, I still kind of like this movie and I kind of do, Um, but I'm uncertain, I'm uncertain about that and I'm hoping through our conversation that through talking with you about it, I'm going to be steered one way or the other. Um, in a good way. Yeah. So I, I'm. I'm gonna kind of split the difference now and say three and a half is where I'm landing.
1: Yeah. I'm. Uh, so I I, I. I. clearly don't have the um, personal growth context of it that you have, which is undeniable. Um, I. It's definitely dropping for me. I think filmmaking wise, this is a. The movie's a mess. <laughs>
0: yes. I didn't notice that when I was.
1: Uh, yeah. Younger. Really not well made. No. Um.
0: Bordering on like soap opera yes, like, melodrama melodrama yeah daytime tv level real bad yes um
1: like i kind of get what tony k's talking about s- you know yeah oh yeah <laughs> script performances <laughs> ch- angle choices editing like all that is a mess at some point but not always no not always but most of the time <laughs> okay we'll get into that yeah <laughs> um exactly like you said some things that i appreciate more about this movie some things that i really can't really forgive and so you were five and i was four you're three and a half i'm two and a half now okay I'm, uh, that's, which is that's, much more airing on low. negative yeah. yeah that's real low i understand that and like you said it could go up i don't think it would go down for me but um and, and let me ask you a question this could and the answer could be both but are you
0: airing more on a two and a half as a movie or, as the moral choices yeah, so, of the movie, like this is that's right so, so either this is a movie that I think just sucks, or this is a movie that offends me, yeah, and where it's are you probably, on it would that?
1: probably be three for a movie that sucks, two and a half, knock it down, or three and a half for a movie that sucks, and then knock it down a full star for being uh, problematic, yeah
0: so we're going into this pretty hard on the movie, yeah um, where wh- i guess I guess where do we start um yeah, so I don't know if we should get the
1: filmmaking out of the way, so that we can get to I, like okay. the real like the real issues ideologically with let's, it. Let's or... be honest. For
0: this particular episode, I don't care that much to talk about the filmmaking sure. unless it's the way it is addressing yeah. it
1: morally. Yeah. You
0: know, like it, we we can talk about the, like okay, okay, so like sure, what are we gonna say? Like Edward Norton either does a good or bad job in this movie. I, I, those Edward are kind of, Norton does a great job. He does a great job.
1: Edward Not John every other actor uh, does doesn't. in the movie,
0: but but Edward Norton does a great job. Um, but that's kind of in this movie, both a boring and wrong take on how to discuss it. I think. Yeah, I agree. You know,
1: well, then, yeah, let's just focus on uh, what this movie is doing ideologically. What, what what is this movie? And this is why we talked about it. Like, what is this movie? It's take on race. It's take on white supremacy. How does that look to us now?
0: Okay, so one, one thing that I would want to talk about is that you're hearing, especially now in 2020, so much more of an emphasis on what, we're, what we would call systemic racism. Yeah. And racism being not just about prejudice, not just about bigotry, but being about racism ingrained in these systems that are designed. And I guess as a starting point, and it's a low bar, but I will say one of the things I still appreciate about this movie uh, and we can talk about the handling of it but I do appreciate that its take on racism was much more broad and much more accurate I will say in its portrayal of how racist ideas work Mm -hmm. than say something like The Help or something like Green Book or Crash or any of these movies that um, sort of take that sort of liberal Hollywood approach to racism. Okay. This is a movie where I think more than a lot of other movies that white people will watch about race Yes, is talking about the racist ideas that a lot of white people hold mm. and showing them maybe too glamorized. I'm willing to say that, but showing them as uh, within the movies world, racist ideas. Yeah. I have issues with what it does with those and where it takes them but I'm sure we'll get to that because a lot of those other movies, like I watch crash and you watch like in these other, other movies and you're kind of like, yeah, racism is bad. And <laughs> you know, man, if we could just like each other, yeah. things would be so much better if we just liked each other. You and think- this movie doesn't shy away from that ultimately at the end, to be honest, right. but it at least portrays the actual racist ideas that are behind whatever bigotry and prejudice white people hold towards people of color.
1: So, I guess I'm, I'm not fully understanding you, because I thought there's, to, to an extent, this movie kind of reinforces the idea that racism is an individual's sort of, like, blind hatred. Because that's one of the things that you could say is a asset of the movie, that it exposes the the kind of, like, blindness of racist ideas, that there's just a real, like, narrow focus on... I'm going to be racist, basically, Yeah, which to me then isn't really addressing the systemic sort of broader view. So can you, can you say more about what, what you see the movie doing to bring in that idea of a broader view?
0: I just mean that it's bringing up ideas that the other ones won't mess with. Okay. It's bringing up ideas about immigration. It's Mm -hmm. bringing up ideas about affirmative action. It's bringing up ideas about things like Rodney King and police brutality. Right. I'll put it this way. You'll see these movies where they'll have like the bigots or the the people with the racist views. Even the stuff like Sidney Poitier was doing with In the Heat of the Night and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. In the Heat of the Night is much better, by the way, than Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. But in both of those cases, you're just dealing with people who are prejudiced at the beginning of the movie. And those views are never really explored as to how they form them. Yeah. They're just latent. They're just like, latent. They're just there and... and, and uh, they're the, of their
1: time. They're right. of their area of the country. And so
0: that take on, well, sure. all it takes is just getting to know a black person and you can overcome that, is shallow in its own way. Right. American History X has its shallowness, and we'll get to that, but what I appreciate is that it at least explores what are the thoughts going on mm-hmm. at, an, at, at a sort of like more than most movies i'll put it in quotes intellectualized level right these are the real debates that people have yeah um, of course what i hate about the movie is that you're only getting the side of the racists right. on those ideas you're getting elliot gould struggling yeah to kind of come up with a response but ultimately the movie wants to give the audience a lot of credit yeah and say well you'll know this is right. ridiculous right. you'll know it you'll right. just know it and no we live in 2020 now Hell no, we don't just know this. We have a president that spouts it.
1: Right. The
2: irony is that most of the stores that were destroyed during the riots were owned by black people. That's stupid, though. I mean, why trash your own neighborhood? Well, that's my point. It's an irrational act. It's like an expression of rage by people who feel neglected and
1: turned away by the system.
2: Exactly. I mean, it's like we had in Watts or the riots in Chicago in 68. That's crap. I don't buy that for a minute. Calling a riot an irrational expression of rage that's such a cop-out. It's opportunism at its worst. It's, it's a bunch of people grabbing any excuse they can find to go and loot a store. Nothing more. You know, the fact that these people ripped off the stores in their own communities, all that reflects is the degree in which these people have absolutely no respect for the law at all, and certainly no concept of, like, community or, or civic responsibility. Wait a minute.
1: White people commit crimes against white people, too.
2: Yeah, but they're not offing each other in record numbers all over America. Look at the statistics, for Christ's sakes. It's one in every three black males is in some phase of the correctional system. Is that a coincidence, or do these people have, you know, like a racial commitment to crime? Not only that, they're proud of it.
1: Well, maybe it says something about prejudice in the judicial system.
2: Yeah, if you want to talk
1: about criminal statistics, you might want to take a look at the social inequalities that produce them.
2: Yap, yap. You know what? That's exactly what I hate. Because what you're doing, Davina, is taking one thing and calling it something else and just, you know, alleviating the responsibility that these people have for their own actions. You know, it's like saying, it's not a riot, it's rage. It's not crime, it's poverty. It's, it's just nonsense. It's Bullshit. You know, it's exactly what happened in this trial, too, because the media twisted things around so people got all focused on, you know, these cops and whether or not they were going to get convicted and whether Rodney King's civil rights had been violated. I mean, everybody lost sight of old Rodney King himself. I mean, the guy's a multiple felon, by his own admission. He's high as a kite.
0: And in the movie, it's kind of narrow, like you're saying, to say that. Well, that's the views that the white supremacists have. But I do think the movie is pushing you, as an audience member, to say, well, yeah, but do you half agree with this? I agree. And it? I agree does with it, you. I agree with the point you're making. <laughs> it's flirting with you in a way of saying, you know, if you package this There's the right way, majestic
1: about this. There There's is something,
0: something to <laughs> this, right? And then you see the violence. And that's the movie's way, I think, of counteracting that argument. And it's not good enough, I don't think. No. Viscerally and emotionally mm-hmm. is the only way mm-hmm. that we are going to talk about that being wrong. Right. You know, viscerally in the sense of here's some brutality that comes from that. Mm-hmm. And emotionally in that that is the crux of his conversion. It's an emotional conversion as he sort of uh, gets to know the character of Lamont in The Laundry at In Prison uh played by Guy Torrey. and Lamont really does at that point just serve as the type of Sidney Poitier character in The Heat of the Night in guess who's coming to dinner the black person that shows him that his racist views are wrong by seeing the humanity in this black person right that there's a lot in there but I kind of just threw out there yeah. sort of what I appreciate about it but yeah. also how it fails at the same time
1: yeah you know? yeah yeah you 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 loaded a lot <laughs> um, I agree. There's there's a definite difference between the racism of Derek and the racism of other movies, and like movies like The Help or anything yeah. that's set in the 50s or 60s, sure. where yeah. it's just like the shorthand is we all know racism is bad. Look at oh, look at the way that they just assume that the the black people are going to be the help, or like oh, look at these outdated ideas. Versus look at real common ideas and i think one of that's a good word these are common ideas and they put them in the mouth of a white supremacist right and so again like a strength and a weakness like putting a, a thick stark swastika tattoo on him gives the audience an ability to distance themselves from him which is a negative but at the same time it's putting a big swastika on those ideas that you've heard people say yep And I think one of the really... And have not gone away, by the way. No, my goodness. But, and again, strength and weakness. Two of the smartest, strongest decisions is to place two of the formative conversations about race or arguments about race or or moments where racist ideas are shared at a dinner table. Mm -hmm. Derek is is saying things that you hear that we have all heard at dinner tables, Mm -hmm. things that we hear from... The news, we hear them from politicians. They are mainstream These ideas are mainstream. Now. These are mainstream. These are not fringe yeah. white supremacist ideas. These are mainstream white supremacist ideas. Right. And to put those at the dinner table is a really smart way to kind of force us to confront it because I think that anybody who has lived for at least 20 years has had somebody at a dinner table with them say those things. And... Yes, there are moments where Derek is shouting these things at, a, at like a rally sort of thing, mm-hmm. but then there's also moments where Derek is saying them peacefully and with a smile on his face and kind of charmingly. Yep, at a dinner table, and I will say eloquently. Yeah, you he's know he did, He's not. He's not a bumbling idiot. No, I guess again I can't tell if this is to its detriment. I think 22 years later, it's to its detriment. I think artistically, it's really pretty brilliant. That. Elliot Gould's character doesn't have the greatest rebuttals. Right. He does have some facts. Like, well, doesn't poverty have something to do with the reason that crime right. rates are higher? Right. That, isn't there something more systemic about the way that African Americans live in America? So it was brilliantly realistic in that most of us who are fighting the white supremacist ideas that have been seeped into our brains throughout our lives in America— in that moment, we sort of freeze mm-hmm. because we, we're, we're so flabbergasted by the audacity and the illogic and the racism of it that we want to believe that this person who we feel comfortable sitting down to dinner with surely must believe that there's a moral objectively morally wrong thing and so like to appeal to that or 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 isn't there something else that we can empathize with about the lives of people who commit crimes and this is something that was in an article that you you sent me that we'll, we'll put in the the show notes from the canadian jewish news uh cjnews.com In an article written by Michael Freeman where uh, it was written two years ago. Yeah. So on the 20th anniversary of uh, American History X, he talks about the alt-right and their relationship with American History Mm -hmm. X, which like the movie expects us to see this as an ultimately redemptive story of a white supremacist who sees the error of his ways and was unable to stop the effects of the error of his ways In time Right But this movie could very plausibly be seen by people on the right As the tragic story of an open-minded free thinker (laughs) Who turns into a liberal snowflake Yep Yep Then to have Elliot Gould accurately play the way those conversations go Actually looks to people on the alt-right as Derek winning that argument Yep Because Elliot Gould doesn't have quote-unquote facts to back it up and only is appealing emotionally, which to people on the alt-right feelings have no place in any of this, these arguments. If you don't have facts made up though, they may be you're losing the argument, right? That if you, if you step away from the debate, you lost. And that's the
0: thing is, and and if you read which we will link, Michael Freeman actually talks about going to these reddits at these alt-right groups that actually, you know, they really do hold Derek in pretty high regard. Um, And in fact, he quotes uh, Spencer Quinn from a white nationalist blog as saying, quote, Derek's arguments in favor of a race realist perspective are sound, informed, and quite frankly, excellent, unquote. And then Michael Freeman talks about how often they see that reason is on their side. Yeah. They're the ones with the actual intellectual debates. And the way that liberals tend to respond is to, you know, on college campuses, not welcome them to speak, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you see a little bit of that in this movie. Yeah. That because racism should be seen as something that is so just inherently immoral, the characters like Elliot Gould, even Beverly D'Angelo's character, the mother character, um, they're just caught off guard. And the sister character, especially, who, you know, I think actually is... An interesting character – she's in a lot of the melodramatic scenes, which are kind of painful to watch. But as a, as a character, she's the one who actually has the moral ground and sticks with it. Yeah. Both at the beginning in the dinner table and afterwards when he comes back, she yeah. still has those same views that this is wrong. And right. she's in the family as well. Right. Uh, you know, she had the same upbringing as those two boys did. Right. Uh, and she was somehow able to stick with it, but where the again the movie again for for, for, good for every bad. good yeah. thing about the movie, there's a bad thing about the movie. She is never given a voice to voice the actual counter arguments right. to this. Right,
1: they're never given. Yeah, that that character Davina, played by Jennifer Lean, as a character, she is not weak. She holds her own. Mm-hmm. She stands up to him. She's also a real like kind of support system once Derek goes to prison, you see that, but it's all sort of implied and her words and views are just, are given such a fraction of the screen time. She just like, every now and then just kind of gets something in there.
2: I hate the fact that it's cool to be black these days. Good. I hate this hip hop fucking influence on white fucking suburbia. Good. And I hate Tabitha Soren and all her Zionist MTV fucking pigs telling us we should get along. Save the rhetorical bullshit, Hillary Rodham Clinton, because it ain't gonna fucking happen. <laughs> Some of the best shit I've ever heard come out of your mouth. Danny, no. Yeah, I feel monster. sorry for you,
1: Danny. I know you don't believe any of that shit, right? You don't. Shut up, Davina! No, you
2: shut the fuck up. Get out of the fucking house now, you piece of shit. Please go.
0: What I find troubling, really, about this movie is that I just think of the person who agrees with this movie from beginning to end. A lot of people in this country who don't want to consider themselves racist. They wouldn't call themselves member of members of the alt-right. Right. But they're half agreeing with what Derek's saying. Right, And the person who agrees with this movie from beginning to end can actually leave the movie still believing half of those arguments. Yep. And at the same time yeah. saying, but racism is wrong. Right, exactly. You know, I'll just go ahead and say it. They don't sound radical anymore. No. They sound like what our president says.
1: Yeah, that sound like what you hear on Fox News all I'm the sorry if that
0: offends some of our listeners. I don't think it will at this point. They know who we are. Yeah. But play the tapes. Right. You can listen to Derek's words. You can listen to Trump's words. They're not that different.
1: Derek says uh, that people from other countries are laughing at us. Yep. He says we're losing all the time. Yep. Those were, like, main talking points for yep.
0: the president. And especially when he's grieving his father's death in front of the reporter.
2: Well, this country's becoming a haven for criminals, so what do you expect? You know, decent, hard-working Americans like my dad are getting rubbed out by social parasites. Parasites? Blacks, browns, yellow, whatever. I don't understand. You're saying that you think maybe your father's murder was race-related? Yeah, it's race-related. Every problem in this country is race-related, not just crime. It's like immigration, AIDS, welfare, those are problems of the... Black community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community, they're not white problems. Derek Arthur's really issues that deal more with poverty. No, you know, no. They're not products of their environments either, that's crap. Minorities don't give two shits about this country. They come here to exploit it, not to embrace it. What is this have I mean, to do? Millions of white European Americans came here and flourished, you know, within a generation. So what the fuck is the matter with these people? They have to go around shooting at firemen.
1: These are Trump's talking points. Yeah, I mean, just in the last couple of weeks when he rescinded right. a, a, a low income housing, yep.
0: and talking about you, you want to have your suburban dream life, right? Thank you. I just took away the ability for integration, essentially.
1: Right. So, and talking about the uh, Joe Biden saying he will abolish sub- the suburbs, I don't I, even think Derek would say. Even Derek <laughs> would be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Derek's like,
0: is Trump my protege? <laughs> He's taking this thing way further than I ever did. No. what I But the, the main point I'm making is that the problem with this movie is that you could be someone who loves this movie. Right. And, and at the thinks end of, it's so powerful about race. Thinks it's powerful about race. Yeah. And then you still pull the lever for Trump in the election. The, whatever message about racism that Tony Kay and David McKenna are trying to make has been lost on a lot of white Americans. Uh-huh. And that is because to them the misguidedness is, is a matter of the heart. Right. It's the hate that you have. And yeah. we know that because that's the closing line. Yeah. That hate is baggage.
2: Yeah. Well, my conclusion is, hate is baggage. Life's too short to be pissed off all the time. It's just not worth it. Derek says it's always good to end a paper with a quote says someone else has already said it best, so if you can't top it, steal from them and go out strong. So I picked a guy I thought you'd like. We are not enemies, but friends. You must not be enemies. Though passion may have strength. And by
0: the way, a freaking Lincoln quote at the end.
1: Yeah, well, 98 was a different
0: time. <laughs> a Lincoln quote about us coming together. That was actually a speech he gave t- from the Union to the Confederacy saying, like, this isn't us. We're more unified than we are divided. That's an aside. That yeah. really bugged me, though. Yeah, it t- should. To end out on a quote. It should. That's the- compare that to, say, the quotes that Spike Lee ends out on Right. do the right
2: thing. Oh,
0: <laughs> come on. The Martin Luther King, Malcolm X quotes. Come on, to then like have this one end with an Abraham Lincoln quote yeah. about unity, but the unity he's talking about is the unity of white people to other white people who right. are divided on race. Hey, oh my God! Keep talking. So, I'm going to at least be charitable, though, that they do <laughs> want racism to stop. They have this like idea that racism. Remember that not in
1: 1998, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was like the symbol of. <laughs> non-racism right. in america that's true. right
0: yeah i feel like i'm losing my point here but my point yeah, my, whatever. But, but my point here Listen, is that our conversation is think- <laughs>
1: going to be a mess just like the movie is
0: <laughs> but my ultimate point is in this country you have a lot of people who could very easily watch this movie mm-hmm. agree that racism is wrong and still vote for donald trump as someone who actually says a lot of what derek says and see no cognitive dissonance in that yeah and that's a problem because that means your message on racism
1: is faulty it's it's just reinforcing the idea that racism looks like a swastika racism looks like hatred racism looks like violence and it doesn't like we're understanding that that's way more complex it's deeper than that so that's why i was actually kind of surprised to hear you say that the movie took a broad view of racism because i felt like Exactly what you're saying. And it, it it flirts with the idea of a broader view of racism, but we only start learning about Derek's conversion and why he converted in the last like half hour of the movie. Right. Like it's right at the end, and there is no reason given for it. He just literally a black man makes a joke he laughs at and talks about basketball with him. And that's like, oh well. Not literally, because right. he is disillusioned. He gets with raped in the shower. <laughs> Again, but but that's not. <laughs> so that's these are these are like these extremes that like he becomes disillusioned with white supremacy when he gets raped by white supremacists. Like that's not, right. There's no like understanding that not only is this a morally wrong issue; these are factually, logically incorrect belief systems. Right. I mean, it, to me, the fact that he gets raped is, is sensationalism. It is, but, uh,
0: okay, so I will couple that, though, with another important, and, and it probably gets lost, I think, and I didn't remember until I rewatched it, but there is a very important line, I think, to his conversion where, again, Lamont, played by Guy Tori, at the beginning, before they have their little Laker-Celtic love fest, he immediately lays out and says, you're the N-word in here. Yeah. That is probably actually the beginning of the conversion experience. Sure. Of basically him recognizing that prison is a different environment. White is the condition that will get you killed. Right. Earlier on, he's, you know, talking about all these gangs, right? Yeah. Gangs are the problem in this neighborhood. And he's realizing in this environment where he's the N-word, mm. he needs a gang. Yeah. But then he sees the futility of the gang lifestyle because that gang rapes him as yeah. soon as he falls out of line with that gang. And then he also realizes as time goes on that Lamont being somebody who is of the majority who has the power in that system making an individual choice to say do not hurt this guy who deserves it that also is just as powerful to him as having a funny conversation in the laundry
2: what's up man you getting out come on man what the fuck you waiting on get the fuck on out of here man yeah you know I got this funny feeling oh yeah What's that? I'm thinking maybe the only reason I'm getting out of here in one piece is you. Come on, man. Get the fuck out of here, man. You think I'm gonna put my neck on the line for some crazy-ass peck of wood? Yeah, right. Stupid. That's what I thought. I owe you, man. Man, you don't be shit, I. Yes, I do.
0: But yeah, there are some inexcusable things in there because, again, you know, you imagine being Derek. This is a guy who, out of whatever moral awakening came out of that, it ultimately rested on um, a relationship and emotions. Yeah. So you think about him when he gets released back in the real world. All those ideas he subscribed to, they haven't been counter-argued. Right. So how long is it going to be before he starts realizing, well, I still kind of believe some of that
1: stuff. Right. I don't need to be a white supremacist about it,
0: you know? But I mean, I still kind of think that way about black and people. Really the and
1: really, you know? the only thing that he says is like, that's stupid. It's bullshit. Right. Well, why?
0: I was going to talk about that. Bullshit because I met, is a because word I, used I'm, a lot in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's a word that is always used when he doesn't have a better way to talk about it. That's actually where his mm-hmm. arguments fall down. Elliot Gould talks to him about how... Um, you know, don't you think it's about poverty or don't you think... The, and he's just like, no, that's bullshit.
1: bullshit. Yeah. And this is this is just classic alt-right white supremacist playbook is they claim to have facts and be working factually until their facts run out. Then it's all hypotheticals and logical fallacies. I, again, it's brilliant but and this is where we need to talk about the filmmaking I think. Edward Norton is so beautifully shot mm-hmm. and his body is so front and center In so much of this movie, he's shirtless, he's flexing, like, how glamorous does he look when he's getting arrested?
0: Well, let me add to that something even more troubling, which is, I read a, I'll link to this in our um, show notes as well, it's more of a journal article by a guy named Christopher Grau. I don't know anything about him, I just was Googling American History X stuff, but he wrote it for a journal called Midwest Studies and Philosophy, Film and Emotions. The title of the article is American History X, Cinematic Manipulation and Moral Conversion. And one of the things he talks about is he actually found quotes where Edward Norton said they used Lenny Riefenstahl. I apologize if I'm getting her pronunciation wrong, but we're talking about the Nazi propaganda filmmaker. right? They used her documentaries as inspiration for how to shoot those black and white scenes. Hmm. Stylistically, artistically, I think that's interesting. I also think it's like, okay... But th- that propaganda was designed to elevate Nazi ideas. Nazi yeah. ideas and to also like legitimize them right. and make them seem bigger than life. Right. Which is exactly what they do with Edward Norton. That's what happens. Is that a good decision? Is that a bad decision? I actually don't know because I think that there's one case to be made on one side where it's saying we want the audience to think this guy's like a god and then we're going to tear him down. Yeah. I think that w- that argument would have worked if they would have torn him down more appropriately.
1: I think that the rape <laughs> scene's supposed to do that. I don't but again like that's super problematic too like there's there's like gender stuff like the only way he's torn down is that he's emasculated right and now he's been and like he's crying you know and like okay torn down he's less of a man now it takes these shortcuts that end up losing its message you know and then talk about like the black and white footage that really rubs me
0: the wrong way the whole basketball game it's supposed to kind of show you this evolution of how derek gave this feeling of empowerment to this yeah. these white people and the movie is kind of saying
1: it's relishing in the victory
0: and not only that but their grievances weren't all wrong right what, what were they supposed to do they had to do something and man derek
1: did show them with that awesome slam dunk which was the <laughs> cheesiest shot by it's the way a, it's a really crappy <laughs> that's where the movie's a mess it's just like this is terrible Terrible basketball, terribly <laughs> shot. I have to guess maybe that was a scene
0: that Tony Kaye had cut and Edward Norton put back in. I That's don't know. possible.
1: Well, and on top of all of that, aside from Sweeney and Lamont, every other black character is nameless, they are voiceless, and they're criminals. Yep. And they're in gangs. The movie opens with a car full of criminals, black youth with guns breaking into Derek's car. Yep. Like later we get that, oh, it might have been retaliatory for the basketball thing. But the movie opens with it looking like he is the victim of quote unquote reverse racism. As Venice Beach didn't always mm-hmm. used to be like this, but now good hardworking white people get terrorized by black people. Yep. Like the scene where the gang members would have reasonable beef to retaliate against is a, is a victorious scene for Derek, mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's really gross how the black characters in this movie are just violent angry aggressive white hating monsters unless you're sweeney or lamont unless you're sweeney or lamont sweeney p a couple of phds smartest guy he's ever met po- most powerful man in the city yeah lamont Funny, kind of like, hey, hey, hey. Didn't actually do anything wrong. Right. If only for the depiction of black people in this movie, I would say it's like worth two and a half stars to me. And, you know, I think that if you want to talk about, you know,
0: hypothetically, how could this have been made in a better way? I even think there's a shot that's there that could have taken care of most of this in that Sweeney brings in books. (laughs) But you Mm. don't have, you know, like, Sweeney's the guy who comes in after Derek has been um, injured um he's you know been emasculated he's crying he gives him a stack of books why they don't and it could have been just as cheesy as the rest of the movie why not yeah have have a montage of just him reading anti-racist literature yeah that breaks down piece by piece yeah. all of those intellectual arguments I mean, you want why to talk about that? Spike Lee the way he does it in Malcolm X yeah. it's perfect yeah that is what's missing in this movie can you imagine my my debate on this movie would be very different? Yeah, if it just would have had
1: given voice to the given, black, given black voice anti racist yes. authors yep. throughout yeah, history. Exactly, sure, exactly. And ins- would
0: instead, what you get the only black literature mentioned in this book or in this movie, Native is, Son, is Native Son, and all it is is Corey's dad from Boy Meets World, right. Tearing down why he should be reading it, and then that never being rebutted.
1: Yeah. Which, saying, by, saying, by the way, well, it, as a teacher. We hear this, I hear this Oh, I'm from, sure, I'm
0: sure. Like, yeah. yeah. But because you have an intellectualized view of racism at the beginning, it, it demands an intellectualized yeah. breakdown at the end. And if you don't have that, it legitimizes those first arguments and makes the anti-racist argument look extremely weak. Yep. And I actually am not going to be the kind of person that says that emotional conversion experiences, um, or relational experiences aren't legitimate nope. and aren't necessary.
1: They deserve way more credence than they're given.
0: Yes. And I will say that also because I read this book uh that came out, I think it was like last year or two years ago, that was called um rising out of hatred. It was by Eli Saslow, but it was about Derek Black, again, which is kind of funny, his name's Derek too. Interesting. But he grew up as sort of he was Derek. He was being shepherded by his dad and by uh, even David Duke to bring white nationalism to the masses. In fact, American History X even gets it right in saying, like, oh, I like your hair being grown out. We're yeah, kind of done with that skinhead thing. The, there are the, things
1: this movie knows. The recruitment <laughs> techniques, yeah, <laughs> yes. the recruitment techniques, the people they target, the idea of, like, yeah, I'm glad you got rid of that skinhead thing. That's David Duke. That's Richard Spencer. Right. I mean, I guess Stephen Miller's still sticking with the skinhead thing, but, like, put a clean face on it. Yep. Like the, yeah. Like, the head writer for Tucker Carlson. Right. Exactly.
0: But my point in this is that if you read that book, Rising Out of Hatred, it does exactly what American History X doesn't do. It does talk about how this guy, Derek, he ended up going to college that was kind of like prison for Derek. Like it was his awakening. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the awakening for him also started with relationships. Yeah. It did not start with intellectual debate. You can't have it both ways. I, we we in this conversation can't have it both ways in thinking that like intellectualism would have saved
1: this movie. No. And But it was this, for the framework the movie started with. Yes. It yeah. set up the parameters.
0: So it's it's sort of one of those things where it's like, I don't want to discount that experience he has with Lamont you know, as being powerful in anyone's conversion experience. No, 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 of course not. And in this story of the Derek that I'm talking about, it was a Jewish friend he made and uh, this girl he met who was white, but was kind of like the sister character in American History X that would not let him continue to have these beliefs. And so often it is a relationship or some type of emotional thing that has to happen to get kick-started something that gets someone on a journey towards rebutting all yeah. of that stuff and cleaning themselves of all of that Yeah, but fears. it happens yeah. like
1: in the last fourth of the movie rather than right. earlier. And then like, yeah, that stack of books, like, oh, this is actually like a real thing. Because we also don't want to ignore the fact that there is an emotional component to the original ideas. It's not like it's yeah. all rational yeah. and then they're feeling. There's anger, there's fear. And this is, this is something I've been thinking about a lot that like people will set the parameters that say this is, a, this is an intellectual debate. Don't bring your emotions into it. Hmm. But there's this very patriarchal, masculine idea that I can be rational, and there is no extent to which that is detrimental. I can't be over-rational or over-logical. You can be overly emotional, though. And any emotion you show is overly emotional. And so the fact is... Not every emotion is overly emotional. That Emotions are actually very rational. It's like, uh, this happens, therefore this feeling. That's logic, right? Like, that follows. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's this idea that emotion is irrational, is, is stupid. Um, and the idea that logic is not emotional is also stupid. And the idea that any emotion is overly emotional that flip side that you can't be overly rational is so wrong because if you're overly rational, you can justify anything. Mm -hmm. And so it's these, these very archaic set in stone ideas of what the debate and what the way to engage with ideas is that good for this movie for having that emotional side to it. But because it set up kind of logic versus emotion and didn't, and and doesn't show... No, this is actually a very illogical point of view. Mm-hmm. This is a very counterfactual point of view. It just... It ends up where... Given the rules of debate that have been set, the emotional side loses. Yeah. It, it quote-unquote, isn't making a point. Yeah. I think it could have, one, played up the, the logic of anti-racism and played up the emotion mm-hmm. of... White the, supremacy. Uh, white yeah. supremacy, yeah. yeah. Now i haven 't rewatched this to prepare for it, and i don 't know if you have either, but I think that we could look at Black Klansmen to think about how a movie could show the white supremacist' perspective and not center whiteness or legitimize that perspective I Be- think that 's a good point because yeah. throughout Black Klansmen, David Duke and the other KKK members are given a lot of time to talk. Mm-hmm. But in that case, the more they talk, the more ridiculous yes. they sound. Yeah, that's a good point. David Duke is certainly the, the, the object of ridicule in that movie. He's allowed to talk himself into sounding ridiculous. Yeah. And I don't think it's because he's just this caricature of a racist. It's just that Spike Lee knew how to make those racist ideas be laid bare. And you still have emotional and logical, kind of working together with Adam Driver's character saying, realizing as a Jewish man, while not a practicing Jewish man, but is like, you've got something to fight for too. You've got some of the deck stacked against you as far as these people are concerned. Right. And, you know, I guess this, this is kind of turning into Spike Lee, the gr- great filmmaker or the greatest filmmaker is the question we're asking. But like, it does what we've been wanting American History X to do. And so it does beg this question, like what is the place of a white filmmaker
0: trying to make a movie about race? Yeah. You know, how how good and complete can it be? I mean, yeah. no movie can be complete. Right. Do the right thing is, but that's fine. <laughs> right. Like, Spike Lee, as a with the lived-in experience of racism as a black man in America, is going to make a much more profound movie about race as a member of the group that is oppressed, that is marginalized, mm-hmm. that is constantly looked over, and is treated unfairly in this country. Mm-hmm. Is there just a certain blind spot that white people will always have that makes it extremely difficult to make a holistic movie yeah. about race? I don't know. That's a conversation a lot of white people don't want to go to. No. They don't want to think anything's off limits to them. Yeah. Artistically. Which, I don't like to think that, really. Yeah. You know. Which but, is
1: what a lot of the conversation about white fragility is. Yes. It's like it sounds like she's just telling white people to shut up. And and there are problems with that. Like is white people shutting up saying to people of color all right, then you fix it. Or is it white people saying like, I've been talking about stuff I don't know about for a long time and I need to listen for a second. And if we hold up, if we're just looking at, you know, Black Klansmen and American History X, we say, yeah, we can see that American History X needed to shut up sometimes Mm -hmm. because Black Klansmen saw some things that were missing. You know, not like they were a response to each other, but like, I think the criticisms we have for American History X... Are almost solved for like you know like sure, in Black yeah. Klansman and was it messing with the script while the movie was being made or re-edit to extend uh, Edward Norton's screen time? Was it a filmmaker who, who wasn't the screenwriter? You know, like there are a lot of facets yeah, to yeah. that. And it, maybe
0: it should be known. Maybe it should be acknowledged for our listeners who don't know the backstory of this movie that Tony K doesn't really stand behind this movie. Yeah, like he he, he, he doesn't tried to
1: take his name off the right, movie. Yeah. Because it was not his vision of the movie. But with that
0: said, it's not really clear what his vision was. Right. And in fact, his beef tended to be more petty about Edward Norton giving himself more screen time and and it being a little bit more sentimental than he had wanted it to be.
1: Well, the original ending was Derek shaving his head again.
0: Okay. So maybe that would have made the movie more accurate for me. That changes a lot, actually. Really. Because then it isn't a story about redemption. Right. Right. It's a story about entrenched racism and how difficult it
1: is to get yourself out of that. Or is it a story about how Derek was right? Good point. (laughs) I don't know. Even with him not shaving his head in the end and ending with the Lincoln quote, I still feel like the movie is 55% making the case like, eh? I was watching this movie thinking, this is so irresponsible Yes, that I
0: almost wondered if in our episode, we needed to break down the arguments and counter-argue all of them. But I didn't actually feel like that was our place. I honestly feel like our better approach in this episode is to say, there is lots of literature out there. Yeah. If you want to know where Derek is faulty in his arguments, if you are even agreeing halfway with them, yeah. or even with the underlying emotion that comes with them... Mm-hmm you need to seek out some literature. Yes. It is there.
1: The autobiography of Malcolm X or James Baldwin or... Du Bois, you know... Yeah, the beauty boy, Du Bois.
0: Any, any of these voices that were there in 98, Angela Davis, you know, these were voices that were there in 98 rebutting all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then even since 98, of course, there is so much, even just within the last few years that's been written, that it's so... Now, mm. it's, now it is so easy if you, if you are seeking out real policy-level conversation about this doesn't even take that much digging
1: you know no you've got the new jim crow by michelle alexander you've got Co- the color of law by richard rothstein you've got one person no vote by carol anderson there's a lot of stuff out there too hey, if you want the, the you want the cliff notes version just get how to be an anti-racist by abram x kendy sure you know? <laughs> stamp from the beginning <laughs> by the Max beginning, Kendi. Yeah. if you don't want the cliff notes version <laughs> if you want right. the long version or, if you don't feel like reading, follow Carol Anderson, Ibram X. Kendi, Michelle Alexander. Exactly. So, it's there.
0: You know, It's a shame that American History X took such a shallow way out. But that's it's, no excuse <sighs> for people buying into the bullshit of it. And I'm going to use no, that word bullshit all. in that sure. way. You know?
1: <laughs> I, it's, well, it's tough because it was such a a new way of looking at racism. And, it, and maybe that was why I connected with men because it was so violent. And you could feel like a badass watching this movie um this time watching it though the violence to me was like ugh. that that grocery store scene oh my god yeah so tasteless that is such a- it is tasteless it really kind of relished in the torture it did especially when they're pouring milk yes and it's slow motion as yes. if that's kind of a beautiful shot it was disgusting i kind of feel like it clearly knew the white supremacist uh world and so for that reason, it is insightful. It does acknowledge
0: the susceptibility of a lot of white people towards these thoughts. In the movie, it's like the loss of his father is what makes him susceptible. And then this guy swoops in and kind of indoctrinates him, right?
1: But at the but same Danny, time, his
0: dad... Danny later on, and I do think this is one of the key scenes in, in the movie, is where he, he acknowledges that the racism that was toxic in Derek did not start with white supremacy groups. Right. Did not start with hate groups. Right. It started much earlier. And Danny comes to this realization when he thinks back on his father's discussion at the dinner table mm-hmm. about affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Something that is still, to this day, argued on the exact same terms that right. it was argued then. This movie is filled with things it does right and things it does wrong. And the other thing I want to talk about before we kind of wrap this up, I do want to talk about that I think ultimately... My intimate connection with this is still there. The intimate connection of my mother saying, you need to understand the impact you have in your family as the oldest. Thematically, the powerful idea still stands of family and the impact that a family can have in what is indoctrinated, what is believed. You know, Derek Sweeney has a huge impact on him, Mm -hmm. right? It takes one conversation with his dad, because it's his dad, right? to tear that all down. Derek is a member of a white supremacist hate group. And Danny, who looks up to his brother, that's naturally what he sees as going into.
1: Sure, I, I can totally understand that. I think the irresponsibility of this movie, I think this movie is hit and miss with its insight. And it's for me, it's way more miss than hit. Especially because you have to really kind of connect some dots to make the some of the the more nuanced points land. So I don't know. For me, I, I think that means it's sticking at like two and a half. Okay. I think it's interesting to watch, but I don't think it's valuable to watch um, personally. Yeah. Um.
0: So yeah. So I guess we're kind of yeah. So so we're a little bit at odds. I I, I think. think so. I I'm, I'm going to I. I do have those problems. It's like I'm disagreeing with you I know. on any of them. The question to me is: Does the movie still have any value? And um, I think it did for me, at least. And yeah, I think no. For a lot of people, I think you know. And I, I,
1: I, um, I don't want you to think that I don't see that, or that I think anything negative about it having something for you. I think that it is. It was a vehicle for a very important developmental step for you, and. Uh, personally and in your relationship with your mom and your sibling. Sure. But I will go a little beyond that
0: because it's not like I sought out movies and books about race for a long time. And for a while, American History X was kind of my framework. And I would say as like a base level, racism is bad. And a little beyond that in the sense of like, Not only is racism bad, but be careful because these ideas are seductive. At that level, it was useful for me for a while. I remember, you know, when I would hear conversations around things like affirmative action or police brutality that smacked of American History X, there was enough of a charge in my brain to Mm. say, I don't have a good argument against that, but it, it, it doesn't sound right to me. So, yeah, irresponsible in that then I didn't really for a long time care to figure out what those rejoinders are, what those rebuttals are. But I will say that it did confirm to me that racism racism was bad and white supremacy is bad. And, you know, there's a reason why I texted you and said, I think this movie would be a good one to reevaluate right now. And part of it was alarm bells going off for me that Derek's speeches were seeping into
1: the mainstream. Yeah, I don't know about seeping. I feel like pouring.
0: And so is this in a way kind of a cautionary tale. Sure. For us today.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting. I wonder what would happen if somebody who isn't alt-right, who isn't doesn't consider themselves a nationalist or a white supremacist, mm-hmm. but feels like the things the president says ring true feels like Fox News speaks to their point of view. Mm.
0: Yeah, how are they going to watch what this movie? What would
1: they feel like if they watched this movie?
0: Yeah, that's a good question.
1: Would they feel like it was over the top? It doesn't let you do that. I, at least I think it wouldn't really let a person not pick a side. So it gives the movie a different sort of value than I was thinking about, potentially. And would there be an actual like forced reckoning with that mindset?
0: It's a good question because the movie does make that logical connection. If there's one thing the movie does do, it makes a very logical connection between this rhetoric leads to curb stomping, Mm -hmm. leads to going into grocery stores and looting, by the way, going into grocery stores and tearing them up and terrorizing minorities and immigrants who are working there. You're right. Would someone who tends to sympathize with the things that our president says, watch that and say well i don't think that is a logical connection i don't think the movie lets you do that
1: though i don't think so
0: and that and and part of the reason why i think it doesn't let you do that is because it films those pieces of violence in the same black and white that it does the speeches
1: well that that recontextualizes it for me in an interesting way i don't know if it would be accomplished just by the movie or if you could make a supercut of derek saying like they're laughing at us with the president saying they're laughing at us and Derek saying immigrants are freeloaders with Tucker Carlson saying that immigrants are freeloaders yeah. or Derek joking about the value of black lives with Laura Ingram saying that black lives matter is the joke. I don't know if, if you need the whole movie, if the cause to me, the movie like <laughs> right. ends up muddling that sort of, right. um, uh, would a supercut y- YouTube video accomplish the same thing? I don't know, but I think, uh, listen, here's what I'll say. The context that you just kind of forced me to look at and the idea, I'm going to bump it up to three from two and a half. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to meet you at three and a half or four or wherever you, yeah, you plan on yeah. ending up. But uh, I'll say two and a half is probably a little bit too, too harsh. I think we can agree that the movie's real clumsy. Yeah. So I'm going
0: to, gosh, I, I don't know. I feel like I still need to just kind of split the difference on this and just keep it three and a half, half. because I feel like three is almost too low. I cannot. I mean, we talk about five
1: star movies, and I. I mean that would be uh, that would be unprecedented. I mean, can you imagine the press going insane (laughs) for a five star movie dropping to three, a full (laughs) three, right? So,
0: in the spirit of keeping the press at bay,
1: yeah. I mean, they would love it. They, right. would they, they would eat it up
0: eat this up i don't want to become a cog in
1: the 24-hour news cycle the conversation would be lost yes. it would just be the two-star drop exactly the unprecedented and they wouldn't
0: talk about the you know hour-long conversation no, that brought it was, us to that everybody point.
1: would just zoom ahead out of context which they usually do just to get to the banter i think we've, <laughs> right. we've established
0: yeah. yeah so let's keep it at three and a half
1: we don't need that media headache
0: no I don't have any PR person powerful enough to coach me through that.
1: We've got a great team, but they they don't yeah, need that on their plate. Our our typical PR
0: is more about, you know, oh you you said this in the banter and it, it was too funny. We need to we need to handle that.
1: That's what we hear. Yeah, you know, burst blood vessels and eyes, people laughing just <laughs> right. that hard, people needing to pull over. They're late to work. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Um, Okay, so how's our relationship doing here? Are we we best buds? Are we, uh, is it complicated? I guess guess Um, it's complicated. I think it's a little complicated. Yeah.
1: But that's okay. That's fine. I think it'd be uh, probably over-sanitized to end a podcast (laughs) talking about race to say, like, best buds. Yeah, you know, um,
0: it's complicated, but you know what, Ryan? Life's too short to just be pissed off all the time.
1: Mm. I think now we're best buds. And I think
0: we're going to appeal to our better angels here.
1: Uh, Ah. Uh-huh. And uh, Uh
0: and and and, uh, I guess in that way we're
1: best buds. We're best buds. Oh gosh,
0: not being pissed off and appealing to Uh, our better angels.
1: That is so much more comfortable for me. Yes, me too. I thought I had some things to think about. Nope. turns out I don't. Nope. That is great because we're just going to complicated. We're
0: just well, and we're we're also just just deciding not to be pissed off at each other anymore.
1: That's a great point. So uh, because emotions are are silly. Yeah. So wow, I wouldn't even say I feel better. No, I just objectively know it am better. Know better. That was so easy. It was. It was complicated for a little bit there. It was, um,
0: but but now it's not. No, because all I had to do was realize I'm just pissed off, and stop. Stop.
1: Life's too short. Oh yeah, it's just bullshit. (laughs)
0: That feels great. <laughs> it does. It does. I don't have anything else to say. That's it. You you said it was bullshit, and that just That's shuts it. it down. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's just so. bullshit, man. All right. Well, then uh, maybe we should talk about uh, what we're going to discuss in the next episode. All right. So for September, I, I think it's going to be September. We're going to we're going to you know sort we're going whole- to get back into this. Right. Right. And we're going to put our production schedule sort of in flux, yeah. but. Uh, we're going to shoot for September, though, and we're also going to do something we've never really done before, and that is we're going to do a movie that actually came out this year. Yeah,
1: like a newer movie. A newer movie. This, um, you can stream, am I am I saying that right? Stream s- movies? That's the word, I, yes. They call it streaming.
0: I thought it was buffering, you could buffer this movie. Right. But I realized that that's actually, that's actually what happens when the s- streaming isn't going well. Really? Yeah. That's what buffering is. I thought buffering was like, "Hey, I'm buffering this movie."
1: Yeah, because I've tried streaming movies, right? And it's just buffering. And I was like, "Is this the movie?" So you, you're
0: the, talking about just like the, the little spinny circle, and I was like, "Man, that seems like cliche at this point. Every movie's doing it's this."
1: So many movies. All the movies that I buffer is, but it's that's not what it's supposed no, to be. You're, not, supposed to you're, spo-
0: you're, you're supposed to see the. You're supposed to
1: stream the movie. That's wild.
0: And if it's not working right, then it's buffering. And then who do I, I call? Someone. Well, that's the thing is when it happened to me, I was looking for a tech support number sure. somewhere, anywhere on my TV. Like I looked behind it, I didn't the, see. Did a number. you look in the manual? I thought I was like there was a manual that came with this, right? And then I was like, oh, no, and then you're not. looking
1: for it, and it's it's not there. At that point, you would buffer another movie right. or stream. Stream. I can't St- even get that right.
0: right. It's it's not buffer. It's stream. Okay. So we're gonna stream. We're gonna stream.
1: Brand new movie-ish. Yeah. brand new months.
0: But for us. For us, this is brand new.
1: This is, yeah, this is breaking ground. And uh, we were, were talking about the man himself, Spike Lee. Yes.
0: And that's the thing. You know, we've only done one Spike Lee movie. Yeah. Do the right thing. Yeah. And uh, hey, go back and listen to that episode. But we were like, you know, we need to do more Spike Lee. Yeah. And uh, also, with this new buffering streaming thing going on, yeah. like we can do his latest movie yeah and so the movie we're gonna do is spike lee's the five bloods i watched it once when it like the first week and uh would like to watch it again and yeah. talk about it and you said you've only watched part of it right i've
1: started it yeah yeah i will finish the five bloods
0: this is this is this is weird to say it just came out but watch it with us if yeah. you have netflix
1: yeah um, if you don't just you try- know
0: do a free trial
1: yeah, you know what I Workaround. mean. Like, just just do it. Create a new email address if you've
0: already done the free trial. Right? Is it that easy to do now? A free trial? I have no idea. Well, now they're going to hear this on the podcast, and we're going to hear about
1: it. Yeah, we don't have our finger on the pulse of the industry. The the industry has the finger on our pulse.
0: You're talking about the buffering industry, right?
1: The whole movie industry, buffering platforms, buffering platforms, uh, television, all the big ones, and so they're going to hear this and they're going to be like, ah, new emails.
0: We didn't think of that. So, I, I guess, for now, until Netflix uh, hears this and and definitely shuts down that stuff, new email yeah. thing, uh, use a free trial if you don't have Netflix. If you do have Netflix, it's been there all along. Yeah. So, uh, you, you don't have an excuse. Right. Um, Ryan, you, you really don't have an excuse. Um, yeah, so... If you have any thoughts on The Five Bloods, if you have thoughts on today's episode, American History X, we want to hear them. And there's a lot of different ways for you to provide that feedback. Mm -hmm. We've got our email address. It's feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. We are on Facebook, Can We Still Be Friends Podcast, right? That's right. We're on Instagram, Can We Still Be Friends Pod.
1: Right. Just to keep it difficult for you.
0: Right. We have the website, of course, CanWeStillBeFriends.net which is where you can also dig through all of our ar- archives. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, 84 episodes worth of just stuff. Yeah, just pure gold. Pure. Not fool's gold. This is pure oh, no. gold. Refined. And rich. It'll make you rich.
1: If you listen well, to it. No guarantees. No. but The richest man by far, Johnny Cash said, is, is the one with the satisfied mind.
0: And in that sense, pure gold. Pure gold. There's a, there's a gold rush going on, and uh, we're right in the middle of it. All right.
1: We're a couple of 49ers, <laughs> our Levi's jeans, <laughs> and our hats in the river. That's right. Uh, so, anyways, uh, yeah,
0: dig, dig through all them archives. and, uh, and All and them archives. All them archives of gold. And uh, Ooh. there's also, you know, we'd love to hear your voice along with your words. So call us and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 847-306-9532. I want to thank everyone for coming back after our hiatus once again. Appreciate it.
1: But it's late. It is late. It's been nice recording. It is late. You know, that's the thing. That's the thing is
0: I think we were catching up on a lot after the hiatus. And so it's very late. I think it's about time to wrap this up. And, um, so I guess, uh, we'll catch you next time in September and, uh, thanks for listening.
1: Thank you.